0: Welcome,
1: everybody. We are so fortunate today. We have a wonderful, wonderful guest on the show. He's a new host with the Empowerment Channel Voice America, and his show is called Get Unstuck. And I got to tell you, his background is enormously powerful. Jason Hopkins, his mission, and this is his mission, is to advance human connection by embracing the conversation among people who are fighters. And I take that to be people who have a will. And those folks whose journeys from black to light, which he has his own personal journey from black to light, gives hope to to other people to get a second or a third chance in this life. And we all need second, third chances. As a matter of fact, we need as many chances as we can possibly get. (laughs) I know I do. And uh, he also has a very strong connection to himself and his transparency and his passion allows people that he sees as a life coach in Colorado to connect with each other and, and be fully authentic, which is incredible, which I believe in. And he also believes in us experiencing a full life and create systems of support amongst each other uh, so that we can deepen our relationships with our work, with our play and our world. And, and the truth is spirituality is the ability to connect and relate to other people. That is true spirituality. And so Jason, uh, tell tell me a bit about your story.
2: Well, Gary, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, I should have you introduce me all the time. You did a phenomenal job. Uh, My story is a circuitous one. I have been around the world and I, 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 Um, you know, really for some backstory, I um, grew up believing that I was supposed to pursue the American dream. I went to college. I worked hard. I achieved at a level that I think many people aspire to and don't ever. And then I crashed and burned um, when the Great Recession hit that um, I was not unscathed like so many others weren't. But The reality was it wasn't actually the world catching on fire at that point, proverbially. It was my ego and unwillingness to change. I continued living the same life um, that I had prior to the recession. And, you know, it took some years for that to unravel and me to fully spiral. But I will lovingly now say I had a breakthrough. But in fairness, I had a breakdown um, sometime around the end of 2010, beginning of 2011 And really, that set me on the trajectory to do the work that I'm here today, which is really, in short, to evolve how the world sees mental health. From my own personal story, um, recognizing we can do better and people just shouldn't have to struggle the way that they do to get connected. I'm telling you, you know, people are so
1: interesting because they see oftentimes other people through their physical presence. But it's really what we look for as people is our spirit for sure. That's where we all connect and we all connect with, with compassion. That is the greatest act of love you can possibly have. So Jason, what was that dark period like for you? What what, what were the ingredients?
2: You know, the ingredients were, as I mentioned, ego, um, you know, an unwillingness to change. And I mean, frankly, Gary, I had built an entire life built upon how I thought it should look. And from the outside, everything looked perfect. I had all of the hallmarks of of success, the American dream, so to speak. And frankly, inside, it felt inauthentic. It felt empty. It felt lonely. Um, And and I recall on my show that I was doing with a guest this morning, there became a certain point in my undoing that I simply gave up. And just said, if this is going down, I'm going to go down in a blaze of glory. And I did. And good, bad, right, wrong, indifferent. It was it was a pretty epic undoing that, frankly, um, most men who came from the world that I came from would not have survived. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I can't tell
1: you how in life just – realizing, uh, seeing people all the time in, in sessions in life, there's a lot of emptiness. There is a lot of people that feel very empty in their life. And that, that is a dark place. It's a hard place to be because you are desperately wanting to connect, but you don't know how.
2: Right. And, 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 you know, the thing that I can say in retrospect, looking back now is, um, you know, we get in these dark places in our lives and we feel like we are the only person who's been through this. Nobody's ever experienced pain the way that we do or had the setbacks or the heartaches or struggle that we have. have. And the reality is, is if you're willing to talk about or be open about what you're struggling with, I guarantee you somebody sh- will show up to meet you there. And it may be only to listen, which getting it out of you is is certainly healing itself. But frankly. Um I think this this belief that people drag around with them that we're alone in our journey and nobody will ever understand it's a lie. It's not the truth. Yeah. Yeah. You have nonprofit business. You've
1: got a lot of businesses that it I looks do. like. Yeah.
2: yeah. I I have a few things going on. So my my breakdown/breakthrough really it afforded me the opportunity to discern what it is that I wanted to do moving forward. So the first really few years, I just showed up to serve others. I worked in um, an affiliate of the National Alliance on Mental Illness um, in Arapaho and Douglas Counties, which is a Colorado affiliate. And that journey quickly led to me taking on more, leading more, getting connected. And today I still serve as a president and CEO of that organization And for anybody who's listening that doesn't know about NAMI, NAMI is a phenomenal resource. It's basically education, support, and outreach um, initiatives that happen in every state across the country. Simple connection to the the mothership is NAMI.org. But the reality from that work was it was an organization that had historically been built to serve those with chronic or persistent mental illness, and when I had my breakdown, I mean, I really was in the fire, and went through it. And I and I came to this organization as a participant in a support group in the very beginning with peers who had had their own struggles. So I am built from that sort of awareness and understanding and and recognize that, frankly, I think to do anything well in life with fulfillment, you have to show up to serve others also. Um But recognizing that NAMI's slant was primarily for those with chronic and persistent mental illness, I believed that we were leaving out broad swaths of the population that were not being served through their struggle. You know, somebody that has a life transition, setback, whatever they're going through, we all have a chapter that we don't want read, I think. Um, I formed an organization in 2017 called Connection Project, and it is simply to strengthen and deepen connection to ourselves and others. Now, what that has looked like functionally is really building social impact campaigns, broad-scale radio, digital, social media campaigns for other organizations who serve people that are struggling, vulnerable, marginalized populations. And I'll tell you, Gary, it's been a resonant success. And I am frankly honored and grateful that I just get to show up and serve and help bring other people's mission to light on a daily basis.
1: What are the kind of people that you end up interacting most of the time with?
2: You know, that's a great question. I would say my my career has evolved. I mean, in the beginning, it was people that were actively struggling with mental health, and I still work with that population um, pretty consistently, but what it has evolved to is I've gotten connected to the people that pull the levers for the programs for the initiatives that support struggling populations. So I get to meet with leaders, waymakers, you know, the C-suite folks, the entrepreneurs, people who really are taking the forward look of saying, "Hey, our system doesn't really work," as as evidenced by statistics. I mean, there's not a single statistic related to mental health and or substance abuse that tells us what we're doing is is helping and things are trending downwards. So if and until then, I'm gonna still continue to be a megaphone for we have work to do.
1: Absolutely.
2: You know, it's, it's amazing
1: that all it takes if we really wanna connect and have a purpose-driven life, as Rick Warren would call it, which right. his first sentence in that book is, it's not about you. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the deal is, is, it's a search for pain it's a search for pain and if you if you move your life in that direction in a search for pain and you learn how to help suffer for another person right that great sacrifice creates enormous connection and and the, the what's interesting in working with couples is I'm like they're 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 sitting there unhappy with their life unhappy with a lot of things unhappy with each other and I'm like Well, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're suffering for each other. But the more we do that in life, the more light we bring. What do you think about that?
2: I absolutely agree. And I think it's interesting to me how committed many of us get to staying stuck in our story. And the reality is, is the longer you stay stuck in your story and believe that this is how it's supposed to be and it's always going to be this way, I think it still is a you focused journey that takes you out of stepping in your light to serve others. I mean, I can think in my deepest and darkest times, thinking about what I was going through or my own struggle was absolutely the last thing that was going to be helpful. It was me showing up to lead a support group or me going into a coaching call or me, you know, having lunch or or, or coffee with somebody that was struggling that was transformative because it took the spotlight off of me and it forced me to show up and do work to help somebody else, even if it was just to listen. And I, you know, cannot say enough wholeheartedly that being in service of others, I, I do think, is the foundation of connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we as people
1: are having a hard time. Getting relationships in our life, we are yeah. struggling as a, as a society because number one is that we're all tribal. Everybody's got their tribe and their points of view and their their narrative that they follow. Unfortunately, all narratives are, are created by biased research. So you know, <laughs> people make up their own truths and live in that. And so when you talk about getting stuck, I think narratives are the biggest
2: ingredient
1: of getting stuck.
2: Well, I'm going to say that differently. I put that in the category of the lies we tell ourselves. Ah, very good. (laughs) You know, I mean, we can get so caught up in our own narrative in our head that literally we're buying our own stuff. And it's frankly, that can go good or bad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, input out, input in, output out. And, And the reality for many of us is we just stay stuck in a story that no longer serves us far longer than we need to. And I think that's tragic, frankly.
1: It is tragic. It is tragic. It's, it's so funny. When I hear people expounding a negative narrative about themselves or someone else, I come back to them with the question, is that so? Because they have to challenge you have to challenge right. them to rethink what they're thinking. <laughs> and now, now they've got to battle themselves.
2: <laughs> and and it's amazing how much people fight to not want to face the thing that they need to face. And you know, I have found in doing this work a long time myself that it is not the things that you think are gonna be scary that are scary. It's the stuff that wakes you up in the middle of the night that you never saw coming, that hits you like a train, that is what ultimately upends your life. And, you know, knowing that, it's amazing we put so much effort and energy in trying to control the outcome of the thing that we're worried that's going to happen that won't even be the thing. You're right. People ruminate on them. They catastrophize. They ruminate.
1: And then they create what's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. For sure. Which is self-defeating. And you know, I, I always talk to people about, you know, are you making decisions when you're reacting? Or are you making decisions when you're responding? Because they're two different places. And the people that self-defeat tend to make a lot of decisions, decisions when they're reacting.
2: I couldn't agree with you more. And I use the react versus respond model all the time with people and and even in my own life, you know, if something doesn't go the way I expected it to, which things often don't, you know, really recognizing in a moment that you have a choice in how you want to show up. And, you know, there is not always this impetus to react to something in real time, and I think that's really powerful and if people would realize they are empowered with that that gift of responding versus reacting. Can you imagine what kind of outcomes we might have? I mean, the world could be a better place. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: You know, it's so sad when people make emotional decisions because, you know, you're going to have to regret it. But here's the funny thing. People will make emotional decisions and they'll stick with them because they're too proud To do let me double down. (laughs) So they double down.
2: (laughs) A hundred percent. Yeah. It's it it is fascinating to me, you know, that that we are so wired to be prideful in our choices that we can't just be open and honest about saying, hey, that was not a great decision. That wasn't my brightest moment. I'm gonna own that and we're gonna move forward from here. Like, imagine if we did that. I mean, that that radical accountability for our actions it seems to be the ingredient that's missing in so many conversations
1: i would agree with you and and you know it's it's interesting it's when i hear people blaming and victimizing themselves then i ask them a question you know i wanted to hear some i statements here <laughs> you know i want let's let's have something refreshing <laughs> right what did you do to cause some of this? <laughs> like, let's shine that light right back on you. Flip it. <laughs> All right, Jason, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come right back. Okay.
3: Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment.
0: Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856.
3: Dr. Connie Mariano is a groundbreaker. She was the White House physician to three presidents, toured the world on Air Force One, and has had countless amazing experiences the one thing that life didn't prepare her for was becoming a widow after losing her beloved husband John in a tragic accident Dr Connie joined the 1 million women who are widowed in the United States each year while her journey as a widow has been one of intense grief and sorrow it has also been one of extraordinary growth and rebirth now Dr Connie is sharing what she's learned joined by her knowledgeable guests to help anyone struggling with this deeply personal and often lonely journey of their own tune into The Widow's Walk, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment.
0: You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest,
1: Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking to Jason Hopkins, who is a wonderful, incredible new host uh, on on our network on the Empowerment Channel, and it's called Get Getting Un Unst- Get Unstuck. I'm sorry about that, Jason. <laughs> and Jason, tell me something about some of these people that you've helped before. You know, some of these unique stories that where you were able to step into someone's life and make a big difference.
2: You know, that's a great question, and and I want to start by saying getting unstuck um, started with my own story of getting unstuck. I mean, I, as I mentioned before the break, I really had gotten caught up in this narrative of having lived this big, successful life and achieving what most people aspire to, or at least I thought they did, and then it all crashing and burning. I, I spent the better part of a decade really hating that story and blaming that story and, you know, all the start again things. And and it took me, I'll be frank, until last year, really, I and I had this epiphany that I just realized that I have spent so much effort and energy hating the story that built me, that frankly, I should be, you know, honoring that story instead of hating it. So I I will say in the people that I have served over the years, and I'm fortunate to work with a lot of a lot of variety of people. Um, You know, in the beginning, when I became a certified coach, I worked with people who had treatment resistant depression. Mm -hmm. And I would remember week in and week out, we would see each other and the stories would be, as you can imagine and well know, you know, there was no light in those stories. And it was constantly about you know, I just don't want to live anymore. And I have no hope to go on. And, you know, it was always one of those things. And I will knock on wood that I never lost anybody in doing that work. It was wholly unfulfilling at a certain point. But the reality of listening to this same narrative of people who were born of extreme trauma, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: saying that they had lost the will to live over and over, I finally got to the place where at some point I would interject, well, let's talk about how you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting in having that conversation, the light would always come on, they would get shocked and they're like, are you telling me to kill myself? And I said, of course, I'm not telling you that. But you talk about it every week. So clearly, you want to give it a lot of presence in the space. And I found that every single occasion, it was an opportunity to redirect and move somebody into a place of willingness to take action, because what they really wanted to do was have that story validated and heard. I don't think they really wanted to die. Mm -mm. They want to have that story validated and heard. And I can say that in my own life, you know, when I was in my darkest moments, there was a solid year that I, I will tell you, baths and walks saved my life. I mean, I spent a solid year walking every day thinking about how I would kill myself. And I don't mean to be graphic about it, but there was that mustard seed of faith that kept me going forward and knowing that I was here for a bigger purpose Mm. and, 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 take your pick across the stories i think any of us has the ability to get lost on a path mm-hmm. you know as i often say we all have chapters that we don't read out won't read out loud mine happened to be read out loud and it was humiliating and embarrassing but it but it made me who i am today so again if something has happened in your life if you can reframe that into what did it teach you what did you learn Frankly, I think you have an opportunity to show up and be the biggest rock star you've ever been.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, we have blessings and we have lessons. We don't have failures. We have blessings and lessons and lessons can become blessings. Lessons can actually become your testimony. And that's what you want hard things to to teach you in life. What's interesting about suicide is I consider it because I've worked crisis for years, i uh, Anyway, I could go on about that, but the bottom line is it's, it's pain management, right? It's pain management. It's like, if you can imagine broken, you broke your back. And in that moment, all you could think about is I've broke my back. I'm in so much pain. I'm not going to think about my kids. I'm not going to think about my family. I'm not going to think about my friends. All I can think about is the pain I'm in. And can I live my life in this pain? That's the state of mind that a suicidal person in their ideation phase is in. And and it's interesting working them through that process. Because as you remind them of the value of their life and the impact of if they did do that, what do you think it's going to do to all these other people that love you? Right. you know and so getting them outside of themselves is really important from a suicidal aspect
2: well and i also think about that same concept applies to people who are actively in addiction mm-hmm. you know i mean i think all pain is equal and we and, and what's what's amazing about pain is how you experience it. it could be completely different how i or anyone else experiences it and and that subjectiveness i believe really adds to the fruitfulness of the conversation but frankly Anything that we do that is negative or harmful for us often is rooted in this, this desire to not feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you look at
1: addiction and you just ask a person, Hey, I get it. You're, you're addicted to alcohol or you're addicted to this. What are you coping with? You know, what is it that's driving
2: this? And they know what it is. Absolutely. And, you know, but I go back to what we were talking about earlier is this this societal unwillingness to talk about the things that we struggle with look my tagline in connection project is everyone's struggles and i chose that intentionally even though i'm here to do work in mental health i don't believe we're going to fix mental health talking about mental health Mm-mm. you know and everyone's struggles has never been more resonant you know and and i i don't talk about the pandemic a lot but i do think there's some gifts of the pandemic and among them is people are talking about struggle in a way that they never did before. Mm. And and, and that creates some other systemic challenges because the system was never designed to meet the demand of people struggling. But the reality is, is struggle is not scary. It's not sad. It's not traumatic. And I encourage anybody who's listening that is struggling, if you have the, the 20 seconds of courage it takes to share your struggle with somebody you will be amazed nine times out of 10, what somebody will share in response to you sharing your struggle is equal and powerful and validates that 20 seconds of courage. Isn't that amazing? Does it it is. You know, I mean, I I, I was sharing with you on the break. I mean, when I began again, how I healed was I presented my story on stage and I probably told it 150 times and I got really tired of telling that story. But what I can tell you is there was not a single occasion that happened that people didn't come up to me afterwards and then not only validate the story i just told but shared their own experience with me and and i believe that there is real humanness in that collective struggle mm-hmm. in our shared experience of humanity you know we have an opportunity to recognize that we are not alone And, and, and look, most people want to be valued, seen, and heard. Like that's kind of the baseline that should be the foundation for any of us showing up at a place in our lives. And, and frankly, if you're not feeling fulfilled or getting that in your day-to-day life, show up to serve somebody else. And it may happen through you sharing your story.
1: Absolutely. You know, in this day and age, we tend to forget of what we used to have when I was I'm old. So when, when I was younger, when there were four TV channels <laughs> and AM radio, was <laughs> stuff, uh, when I was younger, that during that time, we had to communicate with each other. Right. And that meant that everybody was more good than they were bad. And everybody was more right than they were wrong. And that's how we had to relate to each other. Because we're living in a small town, in a small community, that's all you got. For sure. And if people would get that, I just, you know, I struggle
2: uh, with how people just box themselves in. You know, it's true. And that we put so many preconceived labels on how it should look or what we should be doing or I'm not far enough along. You know, I, I had a guest on my show today who wrote a really fascinating book. And he had a chapter in it called You're Too Young to Be Old. And he referenced this study from the New England Journal of Medicine. And and what that study said is our most productive time in life is between 60 and 70 years of age. The second most is between 70 and 80. And the third most is between 50 and 60. So the people who think that they've missed out, you know, there are so many opportunities to show up and get whatever life you want. Mm Mm-hmm. And all of that years of experiential learning, all
1: of those things that that didn't go right that you had to get through, why waste it away watching television until you croak?
2: Well, and it's interesting that we have devolved as a society into this, you know, this handheld device society that really, you know, everything is being delivered to us based on our browsing preferences, which I think further polarizes us between getting out from getting out of our our comfort zone, so to speak, and we're being spoon fed media that looks like what we've engaged with. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it's pretty dangerous because I'm not sure there's a lot of humanity in that experience. And I and I don't believe that the perceived connection we get out of out of technology, I don't think there is no replacement for what you and I are doing here today. There's no replacement for having coffee with a friend. Like you are never going to get that from your device. I don't care. Even if you're FaceTiming. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we have entire generations that are now being raised from the get-go to remember, you know, only what it's like to be connected through technology. And frankly, I think it's robbing us, robbing us of some really fabulous shared human experience.
1: Oh my gosh. It's, it's great here. You know, I'm, Almost sixty, and I have a nine-year-old son.
2: Well, you're coming <laughs> into the best season of your life, according to this study. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm coaching flag football right now. Nine time. <laughs> so
1: I'm telling you, man, that kid. Uh, I, I have to. I have to be in shape. I have to have energy to keep up with this kid. But the battle is exactly what you said. It's technology and it's these video games and it's the they all community their friends are over online. They don't even know what they look like. Right. And don't and, care. And they don't care. And they they're connecting. And then I, I worry that they don't that they they'll get too caught up in that world and not know how to relate.
2: Um, I think that's already playing out in a pretty epic and catastrophic way. So in my work at NAMI and Connection Project. You know, I mentioned we do a lot of work with vulnerable or marginalized communities, and youth is probably one of the most studied populations. Like, we, we've we done surveys and focus groups. I had a podcast series for youth and actually are about to re-engage a new one for youth and families. But you're right. I think what has happened is we have generations who were raised with tools that the rest of us have all adapted to. And there is a generational gap that is really evident in, in these generations versus prior ones that I think creates some pretty systemic unrelatability. And, you know, as parenting goes, it plays out in parents don't know what their kids know. And I think that loss of control in how do I show up and parent my kid in a way that they understand and I understand, I think that's playing out in a pretty, pretty big way. That has some significant challenges. It
1: does. It does. And and they're lonely. These kids are lonely.
2: And and well, it goes back to they're not really connected. Yeah. They perceive that they're connected. And there is a connection through technology. It's not all bad. But I think what it also does is it changes the fact that they're not they're not great oral communicators often either. They can't express themselves outside of a, a keyboard. And that shows up in when they try to move into the real world, the working world. I'll be fascinated to see what happens. I think youth are going to change positively many of the things that our society has struggled with. But by and large, what I think it's going to teach us is we're going to have to meet them at a different place to be able to really embrace the richness of it.
1: How do you feel about the stage that has been set for mental health these days after COVID?
2: You know, I I I think the stage is the same stage it's always been. I'll, I will say I, I believe it's improving. It's getting a spotlight that it never got previously. Um, you know, frankly, I think where the conversation fails is the recognition that mental health is health. If you have a brain, which we all do, we have mental health. And the fact that we don't have you know, a medical system, we don't have a college system, we don't have an insurance system. We don't have any systems currently that really do integrated health in a way that looks like treating the brain and the body in the same location at the same time in the same system. And that to me is such a detriment to all of us, frankly, because this, this notion that the brain and the body are separate, it's just not, it's not true. It's not the brain runs the show, right, and you know I think I think the thing, and I go back to my word struggle when I when I talk about everyone's struggles, you know, there's never been a differentiator between mental health, mental illness, wellness, mental wellness, whatever you want to call it. you know, what I have found in doing this work for a long time, and you probably agree is you use the word mental illness, mental health. for many people, the blinds come down totally. And often people don't talk about mental health until it hits their home, and even then they don't necessarily do it. I think if we really want to advance the conversation, Gary, we have to start with that notion that if you have a brain, you have mental health. Mental health is health. And if and until we really push that forward and then develop systems that support that narrative, I think the conversation continues to struggle. And and it will struggle. You know one well, things- does.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You know it's interesting because I, I get a lot of people that are just at the end of their rope. I mean they are, and I don't mean it in a bad. I don't mean suicide, but <laughs> you know they they just their marriage is about done. They've told each other they're going to divorce a hundred times. Um, you know they just do, there's just so much negativity between people when we get
2: them. You have to work
1: fast these days.
2: Well, I think when people start putting things like that out into the world and you tell your partner that you're ready to get divorced, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I mean, we need a release valve that allows us to, you know, appropriately, you know digest what we're dealing with and go through things without having to go to the most negative consequence. You know, I think it's like when we were talking about suicide earlier, I don't think most people that that claim to want to commit suicide actually do. Right. Um, and the same way when I think people cry wolf in their marriages or their relationships and say, I want to get divorced. I think they just want that pain to stop too. We need a better narrative that helps people let some steam out of the pot, because frankly, after what we've all been through the last few years, Gary, I mean, it feels like collectively the world is a pot that's about to boil over. You're right, Jason. I mean, I've never seen so many t- people talking
1: apocalyptically. Crazy. <laughs> Literally. Oh, my
2: God. All right. We're going to take a
1: quick break, Jason. And we're going to come right back.
2: Awesome. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area.
3: Stuck in a state of being that holds us back from creating the life we truly desire. Regardless of your own blocks or limitations, imagine an easier way to get unstuck and move forward with your life. On this show, Jason Hopkins shares his practical next right-step approach that will move you toward the life you really want. You, too, can be steps from getting the abundance, love, support, and fulfillment your heart desires. Get unstuck. Move forward with your life with Jason Hopkins. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. We
1: are so fortunate, once again, I've got Jason Hopkins with us, who is the host of Getting Unstuck on Voice America, the Empowerment Channel. But Jason is uh, a life coach out of uh, Colorado, and he has got his hands in so many mental health areas where he's helping so many broad populations. But Jason, I have a question narcissism is on the rise, right? It's huge. And narcissism, as we all know, is main ingredient is to gaslight people into thinking they're crazy, right? And there's good reason for that, because we're also tribalistic. We start to believe our own stuff, like you said earlier, what is your take on the rise of narcissism?
2: You know, I think, you know, narcissism is an interesting affectation that I think we use that word a lot that we should probably unpack what it actually is. And and frankly, it is a side effect for most people of considerable trauma. Exactly. So normally narcissists are born of the place they come from, which likely was probably not a good place. And you usually can trace their lineage to other narcissists, um, you know that's an interesting question and i and i and i love that we're talking about it but the reality is um i think narcissism ends up being you know in its essence somebody's grandiosity and how they show up in the world their self-importance how they show up in the world that really comes from this incredibly wounded place of not feeling good enough like not feeling worthy
1: uh, if you ask a person, if, if, if I suspect somebody's got that feature, um, I know, first of all, it's a personality disorder, childhood. First thing. Second thing, it's highly likely that person had no voice. Right. It's also highly likely that person was parentified. And it's highly likely that that person's truth about the world at a very young age had to become very real to them. That they had to develop their world thinking, their global thinking, their life thinking, their philosophies, how they viewed things at a very young developmental age. And it's really hard for them to get beyond that.
2: Well, and that kind of early empowerment really grows into this grandiosity and belief that you have the power to kind of control and manipulate situations any way that you can. And and, and again... You know, I I have many of those features in how I grew up and was raised and all of that. And I think there's a fine line between somebody who's effective and good at what they do and somebody who has made it all about them because there's no part of them that feels good enough. Yes. And And unfortunately, society tends to put labels on things that maybe are or are not accurate. And I think there's a real danger in doing that. I mean... You know, we all get so caught up in our own lives that the the truth is we we don't take the time to examine or explore how somebody ended up the way that they are. And mm-hmm. I go back to what I said earlier is that people want to be valued, seen and heard, and I think that's true of even these most damaged folks that show up in our lives. Like they're looking for the same thing too. It's just wrapped in a different package. Mm-hmm. So if you can meet somebody at that place, and again, if you feel like you're being gaslighted, you probably are. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I don't think that just because that's the narrative that's being revealed means that you have to buy into it or have to play along with it. You you can shift the narrative also um, in your discernment of what's the subtext that's running through this conversation.
1: You know, I often tell people if you're the smartest person in a room – Go to the room where somebody's smarter than you. Where people, are, if you if you're the most emotionally stable person, go to the room where people are more stable, and see what you learn. What do you think about surrounding your life with? Have you, Have you done that in your own life, where you've grabbed onto people that had so much
2: more than you had to offer at the time? Absolutely, and I mean, frankly, it's it's why I started the radio show. You know, get unstuck, move forward with your life. It was. It was born of that I get to meet the coolest, most fascinating people all the time, and I wouldn't always have a business case about why I would connect you to somebody else, but I knew you should know each other. Mm. And and I think our willingness just to meet new people just because outside of a business case this day and age, I think people's bandwidth's pretty limited. Mm. So it, it's been an amazing opportunity for me to host this radio show each week and have people to your point, that are smarter, that are more mentally stable, that are wiser, whatever, take your pick, and and let them share their light. You know, I, while my show is about getting unstuck, I don't think it's about necessarily getting unstuck in real time on the show. It's more about celebrating the champions who, through their own journeys, have been stuck and then move forward to serve other people you know, I I ascribe to a servant leader model and that frankly has served me well, you know, I'm the conduit. Mm-hmm. And anytime that I try to get ahead of that or recognize that this is about me, I always have to bring myself back to the resonance of, this is about somebody else's story and sharing that and giving them a soft place to land and share. Absolutely.
1: You know, it's amazing. Also, I, I counsel a lot of uh, pastor's, uh, a lot of people in leadership positions and right. uh, even in my own life, you know, it's amazing that people assume that if you like do the job we're, we do counseling like I do and uh, or you do, you know, you're an expert in some area that your whole life is going to be just fine. And right. this, it's it's that is such a facade.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you myself, right? It's really the pain
1: that we go through in our life that helps us identify with other people's pain.
2: Right. And And I know about for you, Gary, like I have this realization all the time that doing the work that you and I do, it requires a real gift of presence. It's not like other jobs where you can show up and kind of do perfunctory work. Your role is to actively listen and then respond in kind to whatever you're talking about I don't know about you. There are days I am exhausted at the end of the day just from having to be present with people all day long. It's hard work. It is. As a matter of fact, most people
1: don't understand what it's like to be right here. Right? Don't they? And, and I have now. Here, I'm a Christian, but I have a uh, my my therapist is a Buddhist. <laughs> he's a, he's a older. He's a lot older than I am. And he basically said, "I, you need to live." As if you have no past and no future. Okay. Just be right there and stay there. All how the does that sit with you? It sits great with me. I love it. I love it. I it be- from the beginning, the first time you heard it, it had oh, just... Oh, no, I hated it. I thought, yeah, that's that sounds really easy. But you know what it really is? Is if you can just get connected to your own personal spirit and go, that's all I have to worry about. I don't have to worry about how I look. I don't have to worry about all these crazy things in the world, but I can stay here in this moment and I can worry about my spirit. And that's,
2: that's easy. It is. If you've done your work, I'm not sure it's easy to the average person that's listening, which is probably not your audience who hasn't done any work. That's probably one of the hardest things they're ever going to go to. I mean, frankly, you know, you you know this from being a therapist, like the best relationship you're ever going to build in life is the one you have with yourself. And if you do that work, that feeds into you having other healthy, fulfilling relationships that truly will fill your cup. You know, it was interesting. I had this kind of epiphany moment recently. I decided I needed to clean my closet out. And like, I'm a Taurus and I love beautiful things. And you know, I have a real history of being acquisitive and I have beautiful clothes that I never wear. Ah. I've moved into this season of what I call luxury. So oh. you know, I basically wear gym clothes, even though I'm not going to the gym. Right. If it doesn't have elastic waistband, I'm probably not going to wear it. Yeah. But I walked in there, you know, with the goal to clean out my closet. And and I, I did that. But... While I was standing in there, I was like, I could get rid of everything in here and not miss any of this. And I think that there are those things that happen in life where you recognize, and that's what I love about that study we talked about earlier about seasons of our lives. Mm-hmm. What served you in your 30s will probably not serve you well in your 40s, your 50s, 60s, and beyond. And it is completely okay to say that used to serve me well. In all fairness, Beautiful clothes and being well-dressed every day. What I can reframe today in this life is that was my armor. Mm. If I showed up and looked perfect, you were not going to question that I didn't have everything together. Wow. And and when I walk into my closet and see a closet full of armor, when the reality is, is I'm digging out of two drawers in the closet every day to get dressed, <laughs> something incongruent there. That gives me pause. And what I was able to walk away from it was I have the awareness and the realization and I'm not yet ready to let it go. Right. And I moved on.
1: That's beautiful. <laughs> but, but
2: I think the the message here is recognizing that in different seasons of our lives, there will be things that show up that do not serve you well anymore from previous seasons. And there will be opportunities to expand in different ways that you never imagined. Today, I show up unapologetically in whatever athleisure wear that I wear. And frankly, it makes me more approachable. It makes me less intimidating. You know, it's disarming. And most importantly, I'm comfortable. Yes. I don't know that there's a, where the pendulum swings some back where in between, we'll learn that at some point later, but it feels more authentic than anything that I've ever done in my whole life.
1: Absolutely. That's really good. That's good insight. Well, now,
2: just because you, something worked doesn't mean it always will work. That that's the bottom line. Well, let's hope you've spoke to
1: all the hoarders out there. <laughs> so, I sell plenty of things. Don't get me wrong. So, oh, you should see my attic. Um, so, so, so Jason, coming from that, you know, we have a very anxious, fear based lives out there. People that live in fear it 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 makes their life so much more diminished they don't realize what it does to their choices and their ability to make choices right why do you think we have so much fear
2: um i i think that we are inherently wired to be afraid of the things that we don't know or understand Mm. and you know we see that playing out in political landscapes we see that playing out in socio-economic out any diversity equity inclusion conversation that you're going to have, you see that playing out. And I think it's, it's frankly born of people are afraid of what they don't know. Yeah. And instead of walking forward in that, imagine the opportunity you have to have some really inspired conversations with people about, Hey, I don't understand this. Tell me what I should know from a person with lived experience. Mm -hmm. Like that's powerful. Yes.
1: That's transformative. It is. You know, I I often tell people, you know, when fear enters, faith leaves. When faith sure. enters, fear leaves. And th- this whole life is constructed to be leaps of faith. That's what and we the do. reality, is
2: you have a lot of people touting their faith, and they don't live a faith-filled, passionate, purposeful life. That's Exactly. It drives me crazy. talk about your faith, and you're not walking the walk, is really, it's an incongruent sort of thing. Right.
1: And, you know, the more things the 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 more hard you do in life the easier your life gets you know and we have to we have to invest in ourselves to do hard a lot of people are afraid to do hard and they live in mediocrity and that's really sad cuz it's very tasteless
2: but i go back to the things that we say are going to be hard are not the hard things it's the things that you never see coming <laughs>
1: that's right <laughs> those will be easy that's it <laughs> So Jason, we've got to wrap it up. It is so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining. You are so insightful. I I hope your show just blows the doors off. So getting unstuck. What is the last
2: part of that one? So it's get unstuck, move forward with your life on the Empowerment Channel. I'm on at 9 a.m. just before you every Tuesday. Um, And you can find me on any of the socials under Get Unstuck Radio, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Get Unstuck Radio.
1: You are just out there. You you are all. <laughs> I think it's great because I'm I'm not. <laughs> so, it's a lot of work as we talked
2: about, but it's worth it. But it's worthwhile.
1: Yeah, and you know I I do my show because um, I I you normally don't have guests. I normally just pick a topic and go with it. Um, but it's so great to be able to talk with you, especially about our field that we're in. Well, I'm
2: honored that you had me as a guest and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to serve any time, but yeah, we, we need people. We do.
1: (laughs) Jason, thank you so, so much. I hope you have a great, great day. Great life. Thank you.
0: I appreciate you. Okay. That's our show for this week.